0: Open up your Bibles uh, to Luke 18. We're gonna, this, our parable for today is the parable of the persistent widow. If you want to read ahead for next week, our parable will be from Matthew 20 and the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Matthew 20 for next week. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard would be for next week. Now, I chose this parable on purpose because it's one that I've wrestled with myself many, many times throughout the years. Like going, what, what are we doing here exactly, Lord? Where are we going? What are you communicating here? And so I thought, well, then let's just dive into it. Let's nail that down. What do we think the Lord's teaching? What does he have to say to us as a church? So I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through um, verse, uh, starting in chapter 18, verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 8 right now, okay? Now he was telling them a parable to show that, all, that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect men. And there was a widow in that city, and she was coming to him saying, Give me legal protection for my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear men, or God, or respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Lest by continuing to come to me, she wears me out. Um, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, shall not God bring about justice to his elect? Who cry to him day and night and will delay long over them? I will tell you, he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In the course of this passage here, you know, there is there are common, it is common to interpret this parable, which I have done many times you know, in the past, as being one about prayer. But when we look at what? The Thank you, thank you, the context. It reveals a fuller, a deeper um, uh, uh, meaning to it and all. So for our context for this one, we have to go back to chapter 17, verse 20. And we're not going to read that entire, that entire text there, but 17, verse 20. And that is the context. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, and then he goes for the next several passages. And what he does is he, he begins to unfold the returning kingdom. And in the next 16 verses, Jesus begins to speak on what must happen between that moment when he's speaking and the moment that he returns. And he doesn't paint a pretty picture. He says in verse seventeen twenty-five that um, that, that Jesus will be rejected, um, and that he'll have to suffer. In verses twenty-six through twenty-nine, he says he describes the future by referring to the past, specifically the days and the times of Noah and Lot. So, if we were to go back to Genesis and look at that passage, we would see there that it was very dark, evil times, and the moral decay was rampant and pervasive. And then, he says, and then he will return. And in the final verses of this passage, uh, verses 30 and on, he paints a pretty terrifying urgency to what's happened when he returns. And so you could just, if I could just condense it, you know, a little bit here, it would just kind of say, I'm going to suffer. I'll be rejected. Things are going to get really, really bad. And then I'll come back. Now, that's the context of the passage, for the, for, the, for the parable. So the context is, when are you going to return, Lord? What's going to happen? And all he said is, I'm coming back. But he says, it's going to get bad before I come back. So that's the context. And there's only two characters in our parable. Last week we looked at our characters as well. This week we looked at our characters as well. Today we have a character who is the most powerful in that, in the land, and you know, in the context of this, this story, and we have the context of the most vulnerable in the story. We have here this judge who has great power over other people's lives, their wealth, you know, all kinds of stuff, power, position, prestige, and he's pitted against this woman who is 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 the most vulnerable of their culture? Widows had no influence. They had no wealth to speak of, no inheritance, no income, no one to protect them or advocate for them. They they were very often taken advantage of in the worst kind of ways because there was no one who cared for them. And so that is that are the two characters in our story. Now we learn that the judge did not fear God or man. He says. and, And it does not say absolutely whether this man was a Jew or not. And this is the thing about this parable. There are many different conclusions that people come to in this parable. For instance, there are many who believe that this judge was a Jew. There are many who believe that he wasn't a Jew. I tend to fall on the side that he wasn't a Jew because it says he did not fear God. I do believe that if he was Jewish in some way or another, that he would fear God. Barclay, in his t- commentary, says this would not have been a Jewish judge because, it, um, because disputes between the Jewish people were brought to the elders. This judge had to be a paid magistrate appointed by Herod or the Romans, and these people were notorious. And so I fall on that side of not being a Jew. Now, we also learn that he had no regard for men, for people at all. And that's evident in his lack of concern and lack of attention to this widow. You would think that even the most tired, crusty, jaded old judge might still have some kind of regard for an old woman. And you know, I take that back. She might not have been old. That's another assumption we make in here. I've made it all the time. I would think she's an old widow. She might not have been old. It's very possible she'd been a young woman who lost her husband. So, but either way, um, that you would think that uh, uh, that even the most jaded judge would eventually would, would you know, have regard for this woman the first time she comes to him, but she keeps begging. And the original language here emphasizes the relentless efforts that she made to get the protection she felt she needed. To protect her, as the Greek says, to vindicate. That's what she's asking for, to vindicate her against her opponent or against her adversary. Now, verses 4 and 5 here, the judge finally relents and gives her the protection she's been asking for. But not because she was deserving of it in his mind. Not because she convinced him that it was hers to have. Not because he had a change of heart about her in general. After looking at the the Greek meanings into these words here, and there it says that, um, it it says that, uh, I'm looking for that. It says that, um, wear me out in verse 5. Wear me out. That wear me out is literally rendered, hit me under the eye. You could, also, you could also be interpreted as give me a black eye. Again, some have suggested that the widow um, was not a physical threat to him. She wasn't going to give him a black eye, but that ignoring her could pose a threat to his reputation. And so a black eye to his reputation is what some have suggested. I, again, I, it says he doesn't worry about men. He doesn't respect men. And so I, I'm not like going, then I don't think he was worried. I don't think he was worried for his reputation, Instead, I think that he finally responds, absolutely, and it just says, for regard for himself. It was his own comfort. It was like, I don't want to go to work today and find that woman knocking on my door again. I don't want to see her come in again. I think she, I really think she wore him out and he says, I'm tired of her. I'll just give her what she wants. So he finally does that. And the more I studied this parable, the more it kept changing directions for me for where I thought it was going. And so I began the parable saying, oh, this is a parable about how we, and this is how, I, and before I looked at it, this is a parable about how we pray. We have to be persistent. We have to be coming back to the Lord. We can't give up. And then I began studying it more and more and more. I went, no, it's not about that. This is a parable about how we cannot lose heart. And, and the way to do that is through prayer. And that's, that's what I thought, that's where I thought this was going. And, but verse 6 changes that. Verse 6 begins, he, Jesus begins to talk about the parable. And notice who he directs the attention of the disciples to. You would think that if it's a parable about prayer, it's a parable about how the widow should be like us and we should be persistent in prayer, he would go, look at the widow, look how she prays. And what does he do in verse 6? He goes, look at the unrighteous judge. Excuse me? I would think, if this, is this about prayer? Then he's going to tell us to talk and look about the widow. We're going to learn from that widow. And he goes, look at the judge. Look at the judge. And so he says, Lord says, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over uh, over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. He contrasts, he contrasts, he points them to the unrighteous judge. He contrasts the unrighteous judge to God himself. I think that's the direction the Lord is taking us. He starts out in verse 1 by saying, a man should pray and not lose heart. That's where he begins in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1, that telling them to, to, they ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he goes, he goes on further, and he contrasts the judge to God. And he says, and I think that where he's leading us to is, we should pray, we should not lose heart, but we should remain steadfast, and, not, and be, not because we pray, but because of who we pray to. The object, the, the attention, what he's pointing us to is, it's a, we should be persistent in prayer. We should pray. But it's not persistence and it's not prayer that keeps us steadfast. It's who we pray to who keeps us steadfast. And I believe that's where he's directing us. We appeal to the only righteous judge there is, the eternal creator God. And God and his creator and God and his character are the big deal of this parable. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we should be persistent. But why we pray at all? But why pray at all if God is not a God who keeps his promises and whose integrity is without blemish? So let's retrace our steps. Chapter 17, he says, things are going to get very, very difficult. Jesus says this on many occasions. He said it in Matthew 10. He said it in Matthew 24. He says it in Luke 21. Um, John 15 and John 16. There in, in following the upper room discourse in, in that time of priestly prayer leading up into John 17. Those times he says, you know, that I will be betrayed and, they will, and, if, and if they will come after me, they're going to come after you, he says. And then in chapter 18, so chapter 17 says, things are going to be very difficult. And then the first thing he says in chapter 18 is, do not lose heart. Things are going to be hard, but do not lose heart. Do not get discouraged. And instead he he says, appeal to the righteous judge who hears you, who loves you, who will dispense judgment in due time. But the difference between the two judges is their integrity and their character. And how do we know that? It's because... When God says something, and he makes a promise, he fulfills it. Did you hear in Scott Brubaker's testimony? What carried him and Karen in the hardest times of their life? What carried them? And I believe it was especially he talked about in his cancer in 2014, that it was the promises that God had made to him. It was the things that God had prepared in him. And it was those promises that he clung to. That he had a confidence about the future because of what God said. Because of what God said. Here we are in this passage. And Jesus is saying, Are you willing to wait years? Are you willing to accept what might happen to you in your lifetime? And that's the question we, we, have to, we have to wrestle with. Are we willing to wait for the all-knowing, all-wise, sovereign God of the universe to dispense justice, to do what's right according to his timeline, according to what he knows is best? Can, can we wait and not lose heart and not discourage and not, get, and not grumble or complain about it? Because he's promised what is to come. Do you think that the and and I think this is this is the question he's asking. What he's saying is, can you wait? And then he and he asks in the end of verse eight. He goes, What will the Son of Man find when he comes back? Will he find people waiting? Still, will their faith hold out? So Jesus knew how hard it would be for those men to stand with those men standing with him. To endure what was to come. Knowing that at least ten of them were going to die by martyrdom, crucifixion, beheading, all kinds of things. Jesus knew that it would be hard for them who followed, but he knew it'd be hard for those he knew it'd be hard for those original twelve, but he knew it'd be hard for all those who followed in the centuries that followed that. And in that light of that, he tells a story. About a wicked judge, and contrast that wicked judge the eternal God of the universe, and said, This one, only this one can you be sure to get justice from God. Hebrews 11, which is just a phenomenal, great passage, Hebrews 11 speaks about this as well, because there it says that all these old saints, they died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance. Look, and if you want to flip over with me in your device or your Bible, Hebrews 11, verse 13, I want to read this little short passage to you. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from where they came out, they would, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it was, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There's some good, deep stuff in that passage. This is what Jesus is saying even in this parable. It's like you can if you, wait, endure, because there are things that I prepared for you. A heavenly city for you. A country that is far better than this one. I prepared it for you. So he, he set that in front of us. And so even like the passage says that, that they have seen it from a distance, but they couldn't get it in this life. They couldn't get it in this life. And so just in this passage, in, in the Hebrews passage, in the parable itself, there are these things that are built into it that, we just, that are so important for our faith. He he says to be persistent in prayer and do not lose heart. And that prayer and that persistence should be something that our hearts and our minds and our souls and our energy is focused on the one true judge. And we're focused on his promises. So how do I know? How can I say with absolute certainty, you could not sway me. You cannot, I'm saying that like, a, I mean, I just hope that I would be faithful to him under all circumstances in my life. But I, you could not sway me to say that there's not a heaven and I'm not going there. You know why I know that? Because he promised it. You want to know Like, you could not, you could not convince me of any way possible, of any way possible, that anybody who's ever placed their faith in Christ can lose their salvation. It's not going to happen because he promised it to keep them in the palm of his hand. And there's nothing you're going to do to change his mind about that. Why? Because he promised it. And you can go through Scripture time after time after time. And when he says he's going to do it, when he's made a promise of it, that's what we stake our lives on. That's what we put that stake in the ground. We say, from this place I will not be moved. And he says the way we do that is by continuing to be in a relationship with him, continuing to pray, continuing to meditate, to memorize, to study, to discuss it, to learn how to apply it to our lives, to learn how maybe we've misapplied it to our lives, but to make him the object of our affection, to make him the object of our faith, so that when times get hard, Do you think, do you think that it's possible? What do you think that that Stephen, the disciple in the book of Acts, what do you think he was thinking as they began to hail rocks upon him and his life began to bleed out of him? I believe Stephen was living in those last moments, in that last breath, he was living on this promise. He'd staked that last breath on this promise, that he is faithful. That he is faithful. That when these eyelids close and I open them on the other side, I will find him standing before me. That's the kind of faith he had, that he remained faithful to the end because he believed the one who made the promises. In your life situation, Whatever it may be, whatever it may be, whether it is, you know, and and I I run the gamut all the time. I'm trying to think of a new crisis in one of our lives or something that I could talk about because it's always the same things. But whatever it is that you're going through in your life and you're not going, will there ever be an end to this? It's like that is the place he wants to be steadfast in your life in. So whatever family relationship issue, financial issue, health issue, whatever you may be in right now, and you're like going, how is this going to end? The way we remain faithful to the end is Him, is that I am going to believe His promises. Now then, if you, and this is the challenge we have. I, want, I so want to walk away from there. Thank you, camera. I'm going to stay right where we're at, okay? Everybody, all right, I'm going to stay right here. In second service, I'm walking, all right? I'm walking, all right? But this is the thing. i got to walk. This is the thing. This is the thing. Listen, listen, listen. But if you don't know your Bible, you don't have any promises. If you're not in the Word, you don't have any promises. If you've never hid it away in your heart, you have no promises. So you're right. You're in a bad spot. You're right. You're in a terrible spot. Is God really going to be faithful to me? And if you don't know it, if you're not in your Bible, you don't know that. You've got to be in your word. You've got to be reading it. You've got to be knowing it. You've got to be taking advantage of the opportunities to know him. Because if you don't, I agree, your life is bad. You're without hope. Because you know hope, because you know Jesus. You know Jesus because you're in the word. If you're not going to be in the Word and you're saying, he's left me. No, you never found him. You never met him. You never met him. You never knew his promises. He's there. Taste and see, the psalm says. I don't know. The only way, I'm going to, the only way I know the beauty of tacos is because I put it in my mouth and I tasted it. The only way you know the beauty of Jesus is you tasted him and you found him to be good. If you don't know your word, if you don't know the Bible, it is there waiting on you. If you don't know him, you know him through the Bible. It's there waiting on you. Waiting on you to come to know him and to find that he is true. To find that he's going to carry you through the loss of a child. He's going to carry you through the loss of a child of life. He's going to carry you because he says he will. Because he says he will. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I speak so boldly because my life is not in that place right now. But Lord, um, it has been in the past and it will be again someday. And so right now, Lord, um, we come to you and we throw ourselves at you and we we want to be found faithful in that last verse of our passage we want to be found faithful and so may we throw ourselves at you in prayer and in the word to be found faithful because we've placed our life on the line for based on your promises so lord please even as even as we read in the Gospels, Lord, help my unbelief. Steady my, my trembling knees, lift my weak arms so that I might be found faithful. And it's in your name we pray, amen.